All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am giving you another one of my year-end roster reviews. We're going to be looking back at the Falcons linebackers in 2018, and it'll also touch upon a little bit of the hiring of former Kansas City Chiefs defensive coordinator Bob Sutton. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years at FalFans.com, on Twitter at FalFans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. Today, we are doing another year-end roster review. We're trying to wrap up the defense this week. Of course, the Falcons decide to make moves to uh, slow down that process, but we will not stop that train from a-rolling today when we talk about the linebacker group. Uh, but the Falcons did make a significant, or at least in other people's eyes, not necessarily in my eyes, a significant hire today by uh, hiring former Kansas City Chiefs defensive coordinator Bob Sutton, um, who was recently dismissed from his job, uh, probably in large part due to subpar defensive performances from Kansas City the last couple of years, and particularly uh, a subpar performance from the Chiefs uh, in that AFC championship game. You know, I don't really necessarily have a strong take on Sutton because uh, he's not hired to be a defensive coach. He's hired to be Dan Quinn's new in-game management, clock manager, special assistant. Uh, His official title is senior assistant, but uh, basically he's the game management coach that uh, takes over for Kyle Flood, who took the Alabama offensive line coaching job uh, not that long ago after he was promoted to that position. But I, I don't really have a take on Sutton. You know, his his tenure in Kansas City didn't end well. He becomes one of another string of Falcons coaches that basically got exposed by Bill Belichick at the postseason. You know, Mike Smith's last job as a defensive coordinator was against Bill Belichick. Uh, Dan Quinn's was as well. Now Sutton, I'm sure there's probably some other coaches that uh, also have been hired by the Falcons in the last decade or or so uh, that sort of had their uh, careers derailed by Bill Belichick, but, uh, you know, Sutton is the latest in that tenure. Um, you know, I don't necessarily have a strong opinion about the game management coach because people have asked me this over the last month or so. And I've sort of been dismissive of that question just because I don't necessarily feel like the Falcons game management issues are as big a deal as a lot of people talk about. Um, I've explained it before, but in case you've missed that conversation I've had, I do think they are an issue. They have sort of uh, bubbled up to the surface from time to time over the last four seasons. But I think I can probably count on one hand how many times where it has been significant enough for me to sort of really pay attention to it. Now, maybe, maybe, you know, I'm wrong and I should be noticing, you know, more stuff from time to time, which is fair, because I'm not necessarily focused on that. But like even the most egregious example was that San Francisco game back in 2015, where Dan Quinn made a comedy of errors in the fourth quarter uh, by deciding to challenge a fumble and, and then deciding to kick a field goal when the Falcons were down four points. Um, with three minutes left at the one yard line. And, you know, certainly at that time, I was very critical of Dan Quinn's decision and and basically blamed him for costing the team the game. But sort of now looking back at it and and really and with hindsight and, and whatnot, like that certainly contributed to the Falcons screwing up in the fourth quarter. But it's not as if that game didn't also include 
Blaine Gabbert lighting up the Falcons defense in the second quarter, Mike Person in the Falcons offensive line really struggling in that game by, you know, allowing too many hits on Matt Ryan and then not being able to block for Devontae Freeman, who had 12 carries for 12 yards in that game. So it's not as if I can just simply say, oh, yeah, the Falcons, you know, they could have won the game if Dan Quinn hadn't made those mistakes. But it's not as if they didn't make other mistakes in that game. And so that's part of the reason why I don't necessarily get too caught up in the um, game management stuff as like the cause and, and this huge thing that's holding back this team from reaching its full potential, because I think I can certainly count more than a handful of games where the Falcons pass protection broke down more than a handful of games where the Falcons defense couldn't stop a mid-level or below average quarterback and more than a handful of games where the Falcons running game was ineffective as well as several other issues. But again, only a handful of times over the last four years where the clock management stuff. So I, I do think that stuff tends to get overrated a little bit, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, you know, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people will sort of look at this higher and try to read deeper into it and like, oh, Bob Sutton's going to come from the Chiefs. And that means we're going to sign this guy from the Chiefs or whatever people do to sort of really dig deep on these sorts of moves and whatnot. I don't personally have a take on that. Uh, I don't really see any major ramifications. As far as I was concerned, whoever the Falcons hired to be the game management coach, the clock manager or whatever, um, you know, that as far as I'm concerned, that just is going to be the basis of jokes I make on falls, um, <laughs> not on falls, on Sundays this fall. Um, and so like, you know, I, I'm sure I can get some comedy out of it. Some, you know, as you guys know, follow me on Twitter, bad comedy, but uh, you know, I amuse myself and that's all that really matters at the end of the day. So. Um, speaking of falls this Sunday, uh, if you guys want to get prepared for that, then, uh, you definitely want to check out the Locked On NFL podcast with host Matt Williamson, who's coming at you every day this offseason up until the fall, uh, giving you his thoughts on all the things going around the league. Uh, you can find that wherever you get your Locked On podcast, your team every day. So let's talk linebackers, and we'll start off talking about Deion Jones. And, and as is the case with many of the Falcons elite players, on these roster review series, I'm not going to spend a ton of time basically breaking down why I think Deion Jones is good. You guys watch the games too. You know Deion Jones is good. He's a playmaker. Uh, you know, the injury that he suffered in 2018, I think, somewhat derailed his season because I was really optimistic sort of to see Deion take that next step this season and become a little bit more of a consistent player. Um, you know, he's certainly a playmaker. He certainly makes a number of plays, but I wanted to see if he could sort of, you know, be a little bit more consistent with the details playing the middle linebacker position on a snap-to-snap basis. But unfortunately, the injury sort of prevented that from happening. But I do think in the five games that we did get out of him, I think he, you know, he wasn't as consistent as I would hope and dream him to be. But I certainly think you can make a strong case that he made progress there in terms of where he was in 2017, at least when you look at the entire season. Maybe not if you just isolate the last five games. But he still had his ups and downs this season, but I do think he did a great job making a lot of the plays that we've, you know, got accustomed to seeing him make and arguably made them at a higher rate than he has done um, in, in previous years, at least, again, relative to the small sample size that we saw this year um, where he's making those plays where he's busting up screens, he's shooting gaps, he's breaking up passes, getting interceptions and pick sixes and creating turnovers and doing all the things that we, we have grown to love about Deion Jones over the last, uh, what now three seasons. Um, so, you know, I think that Philadelphia game was great. Unfortunately, that was the game he got injured in. I think, you know, sort of how he played over those last three or four games certainly made a number of plays 
in those games. And, and unfortunately, the Falcons just couldn't get more of that due to the injury and sort of the slow progress of him returning to the lineup. So I think the issue right now I have for Deion Jones moving forward is, is he going to develop sort of that consistency? And I think as that applies to the Falcons defense as a whole, because now Deion Jones is firmly in a leadership role. And we saw that this past season when he was, you know, working back to defense and we sort of looked upon him as like the savior to come in and save the defense. And he would come in and sort of inspire the rest of the, the, the 10 guys out there to play much better. And uh, you can say that somewhat happened, but probably not to the degree I think people were hoping. Um, but, you know, it, it certainly happened in at least the, the Carolina and Arizona game. Although, again, I would probably argue that had more to do with, you know, Arizona being terrible and Carolina having a backup quarterback. But, uh, you know, we, we, we got to take what we can get, I guess, at this point. But I think one of the issues I'm, I'm looking for is, like, I, I think with the, looking at the Falcons' defense as a whole, um, they lack discipline. And when I say they lack discipline, I'm not talking about they get too many penalties. Um, I think they lack discipline because they don't necessarily consistently do their job. You don't have all 11 guys working together as a cohesive unit. And, you know, that partic- is pre- prevalent with the linebacker core because you constantly see these guys out of position and not necessarily doing their jobs as far as run fits. And if it goes back to something I talked about during the season when talking about why the Falcons coaching staff continues to play Jordan Richards, despite everybody who's watching these games thinking Jordan Richards is terrible. And I thought a lot of it had to do with the fact that Jordan Richards was, you know, quote unquote, a grunt and willing to do some of the dirty work um, that other players on this defensive roster aren't necessarily, you know, doing consistently. And that stems from Jordan Richards time in New England, where the whole mantra is, you know, do your job. And I think when you look at some of the top defenses around the league, and New England's a good example because New England's defense always seems to outperform what you would initially look at and say that talent level. And we saw evidence of that in the Super Bowl. And, you know, you see other defenses like Minnesota and Baltimore. And you, I think that's, you know, a testament to how disciplined these defenses are, which I think is a testament to how well coached they are. Um, and before anybody says something like, oh, well, you know, the Falcons lack defense, discipline, then it means that Dan Quinn's not a good coach. Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily go that far. I think, a lot, you know, because when you look at Dan Quinn's time in Seattle, that Seattle defense was a very disciplined defense uh, during the time of Dan Quinn. Now, whether you want to attribute that to Dan Quinn or Gus Bradley or Pete Carroll, you know, is up to you. But I don't necessarily feel like Dan Quinn is the broken part of the equation. And so I tend to look more at the players themselves. And where Deion Jones sort of fits into this as the leader, I think it's hard for him to be able to go to other players on this defense and be like, you know, do your job and get in the guy's face and demand excellence and all these sort of things when those guys can basically also, you know, during the week, look at the film and be like, wait, you're not doing your job either. So you can't necessarily demand me to do my job. It's, it's, you know, you just as a leader, you can't necessarily lead by example in that way. And that's sort of my main knock on Deion Jones how do the Falcons fix that? You know, you can hope that Deion Jones becomes better at that. I, I think we've seen progress there, but not necessarily. I think there, that's always going to be a little bit of a missing element of Deion Jones's game. You know, I just think he's, you know, he's always going to be a playmaker, not a grunt. So I think that you can wait and see if he turns into that. But I think at this point in time in his career, I wouldn't necessarily hold your breath about that. I think, you know, when you, the other option is potentially to add a grunt to play beside him, which I don't think is Devondre Campbell. Maybe it's Foyer Olakun. But I think, you know, if the Falcons are looking for a veteran player that's been around the block, you know, that can do a little bit more of that grunt work, I think it makes sense. A player like Thomas Davis, you know, who is a free agent this year, makes a lot of sense in that regard. 
I think the third option I would probably say is just build up the rest of your talent on your defense to the point that you you know it doesn't matter that Deion Jones is not a grunt because everybody else is so good that they make all the plays that he misses. Um, and the reality is probably the the way that you do it is you, it's a combination of all three things um, to sort of solve this issue uh, of the Falcons' lack of discipline. So we'll have to see if that improves this year. But I think because of that lack of discipline, essentially you're not necessarily always getting this defense always performing to the degree I think the talent suggests it can perform. And that's one of the reasons why you can question how well coached this defense is and how much upside it has despite all the hype that it gets and whatnot. So that's going to be an interesting thing to see develop in 2019. And again, I don't want to necessarily be like, oh, that's Deion Jones's fault. But it is, I think he's sort of, as the leader of the defense, if he's not going to be that guy, then I don't think you can necessarily expect the rest of the defense to follow suit, you know. And so the the defense takes sort of the identity of, of its leadership. And I think that's sort of what the Falcons are running up uh, into. Um, and because Deion Jones is sort of at that critical middle linebacker position, like I think Keanu Neal is that type of dude, but I, I don't necessarily know if you can count on Keanu Neal to be the leader of your defense, um, particularly when you have a guy like Deion Jones who's ready to be that guy, uh, is perfectly positioned to be that guy. Um, but if, you know, if in some magic world you can sort of swap, you know, do a, Freaky Friday at have Keanu Neal play middle linebacker and Deion Jones play strong safety, you know, I think it would be much different for the entirety of the defense. Um, so just something that I've been sort of thinking about, um, and we'll sort of see whether the Falcons um, linebacker core will, you know, figure it out in 2019. So um, let's talk about the rest of the Falcons linebacker core. But uh, before we get there, uh, I do want to remind you guys, about the NBA side of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to all 30 NBA teams, including the Lockdown Hawks podcast, where I'm sure you guys can hear what Brad Rowland's thoughts are on the latest moves involving Jeremy Lin, as well as other things going on for this Hawks team in the second half of the season, after the trade deadline. Find that podcast and other podcasts wherever you get your Lockdown Podcast, your NBA team, every day. So let's go through the other linebackers, and because of the Bob Sutton thing, I'm going to not necessarily spend as much time as I probably, uh, at least initially, planned on spending on all of these guys. So let's quickly go through them. You know, I've been a vocal critic of Devondre Campbell basically since 2017. I've always sort of seen him as a complimentary player that's a very capable player uh, due to, in large part due to his versatility because he can provide a variety of roles in your defense, whether you want him to rush the quarterback, whether you want him to stop the run, whether you want him to play Sam linebacker, weak side linebacker, cover tight ends, cover running backs. He can do a lot of things. He can wear several different hats. I think the knock on Campbell is that he's not particularly great at any of those things. He's solid to decent at all of those things. And that's a versatile and valuable asset for a defense. But I think the problem is in what we saw, I think, in 2018 was without Deion Jones in the lineup, like he compliments Deion Jones. He compliments Keanu Neal. He compliments other players on this Falcons roster. But with Jones out of lineup and with Neal out of lineup, you kind of needed him to sort of take more of the mantle and be the playmaker. And that really isn't what he is. And so I think, you know, what's going to be interesting to see with Neil and Campbell back in the lineup, will we see Campbell making more of those plays that we saw in previous years? Um, And I think those guys, because of the ability that they have, they can kind of mask some of the flaws that Campbell has, uh, which was not the case this year with guys like Riley and Ola Kuhn playing beside him. 
Um, despite his low coverage grade from Pro Football Focus, I do think he showed progress in coverage this year, particularly with being tasked with covering opposing teams' tight ends. And, you know, I can't really think of too many games where the tight end coverage was really problematic for the Falcons. And in the past, I, I owed that to Keanu Neal's ability. Um, but I think Campbell stepped up in a lot of ways. So uh, for a large portion of the season, I wasn't necessarily as critical of Campbell because I did think he stepped up in that way. Um, you know, one of my concerns about Campbell is going to be, uh, and one of my concerns has been, you know, his ability to play strong side linebacker. I just think instinctually his reading, his recognition is still poor um, relative to where he should be now at this point in his career. Um, and so, you know, I still have my, I think he's more natural as a weak side linebacker than a Sam linebacker, but there's a lot of things that he can do as a Sam linebacker that you like. I just don't think he does it consistently enough. And, you know, as we've seen over the last two years, I think we'll, we'll continue to see him split reps, you know, playing Sam in the base defense and then playing that wheel linebacker in the nickel. Um, so we'll see how he adjusts to that. Again, I think he'll probably have a better year again because Neil and Jones being back in the lineup, um, and he's also entering 2019 as a free agent. This is the final year of his rookie contract. And I think, you know, despite all my concerns about his game, I do think he's, his versatility is going to make him a valuable commodity and coveted player, potentially on the open market next offseason. Um, so I think he's going to sort of be in a similar situation as Tevin Coleman was entering this past season, where he's a player that I think the Falcons would love to keep. But because he's probably going to be a little bit more valuable to another team, at least certainly in terms of how much they're willing to pay for his services, given that the Falcons also have to probably pay guys like Jones and Neal, among others, uh, next offseason, or at least in the next 12 months. Um, I don't necessarily know if Campbell's going to be a a high priority for them to keep and and pay him sort of what his market value is. So I think there's a chance they could keep him, depending, again, on what happens in 2019, which, again, is a sort of make-break year for him. But... uh, uh, I think sort of similar to Coleman, I think it's probably a safer bet to think that it's less likely that he's going to be back in 2020. But again, a lot of that depends on what happens this upcoming season. And, you know, another player that I'm going to keep my eye on because I think he could go a long way to sort of helping, you know, fill the void potentially that Campbell might leave in 2020 is a guy like Foye Olakun. And, you know, given his lack of experience playing linebacker after spending like basically three years as a safety at Yale and trying to make that jump from the Ivy League to the NFL. I had very low expectations on Foye Olakun going into the season. I thought he would just basically play special teams where I thought he would be a valuable piece there and that would be about it and maybe get like 25 to 50 snaps on defense the entire year. Obviously, Jones' injury led to him getting a bigger role than initially expected. And then you follow that up with sort of Duke Riley struggling, led to him even getting a more prominent role uh, as the season progressed. And I think Ola Kuhn handled it really well. I, I was very impressed with him. I like Ola Kuhn. You know, I think instinctually he's a further ahead. At least he, I thought he was further ahead than either Jones or Campbell were at the same point in their rookie years or after their rookie years. I like his upside. I feel like that Ivy League pedigree is reflected in his play, and, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I think he has that ability from the neck up as well as the athleticism from the neck down that, you know, Dan Quinn covets. Still made a lot of rookie mistakes, still had a pretty up-and-down season, wasn't consistent, you know, but I think one of the things 
that I noticed from time to time was that he would learn from his mistakes. He would get better as the game wore on um, because he was figuring things out as they go. Um, so my expectation is that the Falcons will sort of, you know, it's hit the weak side linebacker spot. That third linebacker spot is his job to lose. I still, again, think that Campbell and Jones will be the primary two linebackers when the Falcons play in their nickel with only two linebackers on the field. But in the base defense, Olakun will play, and I do think he will get some opportunities in the nickel depending on maybe some of the matchups that are presented to the Falcons in 2019. So um, I will, I'm, I'm curious to see sort of what he does. You know, part of me is um, skeptical of him. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see what he does in terms of making that leap in year two. But uh, part of me is skeptical of him just because he's a guy from Yale. Um, and, you know, the idea that he's going to be anything more than sort of an above average stopgap starter seems a little bit far fresh when you consider where he comes from and the fact that he's a six round pick. But I, at the same time, I've already made the mistake of underestimating him once. And I'm not going to make that mistake necessarily again. So I am definitely intrigued. He's certainly the most intriguing player besides Deion Jones for me at this linebacker core and and the one that I am most optimistic about heading into 2019 based off of his rookie season. With that said, let's talk about Duke Riley. And what can you say? He had an awful season. And I was certainly one of those people that defended Duke Riley last season. I was one of those people that defended him again in the summer. Um, And frankly, I was wrong. You know, I thought, you know, he needed more time. I need, and we, he got that more time and we didn't see the development. Um, you know, basically by the end of September, I was ready to sort of turn the page on Duke Riley. And it's in large part due to the poor instincts. And as I've suggested, Campbell doesn't have the greatest instincts. But the one thing you will say about Campbell is that when he sees it and, you know, it's not guaranteed that he's going to see it. uh, But when he does see it, he's going to go get it. And that's really the problem with Riley is like he's not only slow to see things, but when he sees it, he doesn't make the play. Um, and you know, for me, and I've said this before, Duke Riley is basically a robot. He can follow sort of simple commands, simple code that you sort of input into his command, like follow this guy or run to this spot or do this thing. But like when you have to put it together to make sort of complex decisions, he does not do it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was so wrong on Duke Riley when I was talking about him last year. If you go back and listen to last year's podcast and talk, me talking about, oh, he's, you know, he's got instincts and he's doing good things and he just needs that the game needs to slow down for him and all these sorts of things. And what I was making the mistake of is like seeing him follow these simple commands made me believe that he was processing things quickly. But it really wasn't that he was processing things. He was just basically like, oh, I see this guard pulling, so I'm going to run to this spot. And I'm thinking like, oh, he's he's figuring things out, but it's just like he's just doing basic stuff and not just putting things together. And you would see it, you know, time and time again, particularly in coverage this year, where he'd be playing middle linebacker and the Falcons would be in zone and the opposing team would run a wide receiver or tight end past them. And as you're supposed to do when you're playing zone, if someone runs into your zone, you're supposed to sort of follow them and track them through your zone. And Duke Riley would do that. Um, but then the opposing team would just sort of settle another wide receiver, you know, some slot receiver or tight end, uh, into the zone that Duke Riley vacated and just get an easy completion. And they just gashed the Falcons time and time again throughout the early portion of the season. And, you know, for him to be making those mistakes early on, okay, it's understandable, given his lack of experience, given sort of what the Falcons are figuring out. But for him to still be making those mistakes, you know, well into the season after the bye week, that sort of was like the the last straw for me and I'm, I'm sure for many of you. And it's like, okay, he's still not figuring it out. And that's really the problem. He's just not 
processing conceptually what the offense is trying to do and what the defense wants him to do. You know, he'd be tasked with covering a running back out of the backfield, but then sort of watch the running back and see that running back not release into the into his route, you know, within a second or two after the ball is snapped. And then he would basically, oh, like running back's not releasing, so I don't have to cover him. And then he'd turn around, turn his back to the quarterback and look for someone to cover downfield. And not understanding that just because the running back didn't immediately release into his route doesn't mean that he's not going to release into his route and that the running back can just stay in the in the backfield for like a second or two waiting to see if he has to pick up a blitz or chip somebody and then release into his route. And but meanwhile, Duke Riley's like 15 yards downfield and the running back's wide open, you know, for an easy check down that turns into a big gain. Um, because Duke Riley has completely abandoned his assignment. You saw the same thing when he was asked to spy quarterbacks, where he would just like, oh, quarterback's not running, because in three seconds, Cam Newton's not running, so I don't need to spy him anymore, and then completely abandon that, and then Cam Newton gets an easy third-down conversion, you know, by just like, oh, the middle of the field's wide open, because they're, yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, you know, I was going to say idiotic, but I, I shouldn't I shouldn't be that way. But just like those types of plays were very, very frustrating to watch. Time and time again for the Falcons to get gashed that way was very, very frustrating to watch. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I wouldn't be so down on Duke Riley, uh, particularly, you know, given that you could say, well, OK, he's not a starter. He's not instinctually there, um, but he can still add some depth. You know, he's got some experience now. He's still athletic. So he when the Falcons, you know, put him in the game and want to play man coverage, he can do that competently certainly better there than say Paul Warlow was so that's still better right um you know you can make that case and then you say well he'll play he'll contribute on special teams and that's something so you get at least a a decent backup player but part of my part of my other issue with Duke Riley is I don't think he's that good on special teams and you know it's one of those things where I feel like that all sort of comes together that he's going to be firmly on the bubble this year I wouldn't necessarily sit here and say that he's going to get cut but I do think there's a strong possibility that we're, you know, in the at the end of August talking about him being on the bubble and some third string linebacker basically like this guy's outperformed Duke Riley throughout the preseason, throughout the summer. And, you know, if push comes to shove, the Falcons going to keep this third string linebacker over Duke Riley. So I think that's a possibility. And, you know, if I had to guess who that third string linebacker would be, I think a good chance it would be Jermaine Grace spent most of this season or all of this season on the practice squad after the Falcons, you know, if you listen to the podcast last year, stupidly, in my opinion, cut him. Um, and so he's in that time since then, he's been with Indianapolis. He's been with Cleveland. Um, I've watched him in those places because I was, you know, butthurt about the Falcons getting rid of him. And I was like, I can't believe the Falcons got rid of Jermaine Grace. So I made sure to track him, you know, while he was there. And the player I saw in those two stops and the brief action he saw during the regular season and in the preseason this past summer was a much better linebacker than what I've seen from Duke Riley so far. So um, I also think Jermaine Grace is a better player on special teams as well. So I'm hoping he lives up to that, you know, high praise. You know, I don't praise people lightly on this podcast. So I hope he lives up to that in training camp and hopefully potentially has a good shot at making the roster. We'll close things out by talking about Bruce Carter and Kamal Ishmael, two guys that are going to be impending free agents. But wait a second. No, Bruce Carter's not going to be an impending free agent because as I'm recording this on Monday, uh, February 11th, the Falcons uh, re-signed him to a one-year contract extension, which I assume is going to be a veteran minimum type of deal. But uh, uh, we'll see how, you know, when the details get released later uh, about that. 
And so basically, it seems like the Falcons have chosen that Bruce Carter is going to be the veteran that they keep. Um, and, you know, maybe that will lead to Kamal Ishmael's departure more on that in a second. But I think based off of what Carter did to the Falcons, I was impressed with what he did last year uh, in brief action. He wasn't perfect. You know, again, he's not necessarily the most instinctual guy, uh, made some some errors there. But he's got good athleticism, got some experience, and again, I think can provide some depth and, and uh, added some value on special teams as well. And, you know, the good thing we I said when we signed him is that he has experience playing all three linebacker positions, which was a role that Kamal Ishmael, uh, all in a skill that Kamal Ishmael also had. Um, so it makes him a good depth piece um, for the Falcons moving forward. So we'll see what Carter could do. Um, you know, as for Ishmael, if, you know, it seems like it's likely that the Falcons are going to move on from him this offseason. And I think if this has been the last of, that we've seen of Kamal Ishmael in Atlanta, then I think it's been a, a hell of a run. You know, I think he's no doubt about it that he is by far the best seventh round pick that Dimitrov has made since he's been the GM. Um, you know, he spent six seasons as a backup at not only safety, but also linebacker. The last three seasons playing as a full-time linebacker. And then when you look at his time at safety, Kamal Ishmael played five different positions in the Falcons defense. Free safety, strong safety, weak side linebacker, middle linebacker, and strong side linebacker. And, you know, that's what we called valuable depth. And that's one of the things that you like about Kamal Ishmael. I've, you know, if you've listened to this podcast over the last six years, you know that I've been critical of his coverage issues starting when he was a safety and then sort of that continuing when he moved that linebacker where I still thought he had some limitations there. Um, but I think you love the physicality and run support. I think, you know, it would be a hard press to come up with a better player in terms of who's the best tackler on the Falcons. I would have a hard time, you know, you know, you know, I love Keanu Neal, but I think Kamal Ishmael hasn't beat in that regard. Um, and similar to Campbell, like, while not the most instinctual player I've ever seen, I think when Kamal Ishmael, you know, saw it, he, he went out and got it. And so, um, you know, if the Falcons bring him back, great. Um, but I think this sort of signals that the Falcons are going to at least do what they did. Basically, I think the last two off seasons is let him sort of test the market and see if he can get a, another job elsewhere. Um, but we'll see if there's money left over for them to, to bring him back and have him compete in camp um, and, and provide some depth. So if this is the end of Kamal Ishmael, then so be it. I think he had a heck of a run again, um, going from where he started as a, you know, slow, for lack of a better term, safety, undersized safety, um, to basically being a solid depth piece that really bailed the team out quite a bit last season with his ability to step up, um, you know, and play all three linebacker positions uh, during 2017 when the Falcons were going through, you know, their issues at linebacker then as well. Um, and, and when he got opportunities to play this season, I thought he played reasonably well. But I think because of those coverage issues, the Falcons were a little bit reluctant to play him as much as they probably, as you arguably could say that they should have, uh, given you know some of the performances of, of some of the other young guys. Um, so again, uh, I salute you, Kamal Ishmael. You you did your thing. I've I probably said more criticism of you on this podcast than than positive things, but I want to I do want to really stress that you have you are one of those players that you know. You got to build your, you know, they, those are the types of guys that you fill out your roster. Not everybody's going to be a superstar and you need Kamal Ishmael's out there to really fill out your roster. And for him to be able to do that for six years, I think is, is really impressive. Um, you know, we'll wrap things up here by talking about, you know, sort of where the Falcons are headed with this linebacker group. 
you know, I don't necessarily expect the Falcons to make a major addition at linebacker this year. Um, you know, I think if they're going to make a significant move here, then I think it should be a veteran that can provide some leadership in free agency. You know, again, as I mentioned earlier, a player like Thomas Davis would be ideal, whether, you know, the Falcons go after him or want to see really get more looks at Campbell and, and, and Ola Kuhn and, and, you know, give Duke Riley at least another year to see what he can do. If, if anything, um, I know there's a lot of people, uh, there's a vocal minority of, of folks out there that are really high on uh, LSU's Devin White, who I think is a very talented linebacker, very impressive. But I think the last thing the Falcons kind of need is another young athletic linebacker that has questionable instincts. I feel like like that's not really going to help solve the issues that I think they have, uh, not only in this defense, but also at this specific position. Um, so I, I think, you know, right now, the plan should be, whether the Falcons agree with me or not, we'll, we'll have to see. But the plan should be to sort of see how Campbell and Olakun perform in 2019. And then, you know, if Campbell walks or if Olakun doesn't step up, then linebacker is a strong possibility to be a high priority come the 2020 offseason. And we'll see sort of which free agents are available then, who, you know, what the draft class is looking like then. And maybe the Falcons can sort of get, you know, that sort of running mate for Deion Jones that I think we've all been hoping you know, Campbell and Ola Kuhn and Duke Riley to be and, you know, arguably haven't necessarily lived up to uh, over the last couple of seasons. So we'll see how it goes. You know, I, I've been a vocal critic of the Falcons linebacker core in this podcast over the last two years. I think they're probably the biggest weakness on the defense, but I also sort of think the nature of the position means that you don't necessarily need to prioritize it in the same way that you need to do with the defensive line in the secondary. So I, I feel like they, the Falcons can afford to punt at the linebacker position, especially now that they've sort of secured a little bit of their depth with Carter. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily be against the Falcons sort of using a day three pick on another sort of athletic backup and, and hoping that, you know, if they get another four-year Olakun type of player that, you know, I'm certainly not going to complain about that. But between Carter, Grace, Olakun, Riley, Campbell, and, and Jones, I think they're mostly set at the position and necessarily it's not no longer a need uh, moving forward. So we'll see if the Falcons agree with that assessment and um, potentially we'll be coming back tomorrow to talk cornerbacks. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll do our epitaph for the great Robert Alford uh, as well as talk, you know, Trufon and all those other guys at that cornerback position. And uh, we'll hopefully we'll close out this week by finish up the roster review with safeties and special teams to wrap up the week. Uh, if you have any questions, comments or whatnot for future Q and A's or, you know, feedback that you want to provide me on these roster review series or anything I say on this podcast or on Twitter, uh, you can tweet me at Falcfans, but of course it's just easier to send it over to the show's Twitter handle, which is locked on Falcons. Uh, the Facebook page is locked on Falcons. The email address is locked on Falcons at mail.com. And of course you can leave a comment at Falcfans.com where the podcast is posted daily. Until then guys. You are locked on Falcons. Your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.